Good morning, church. Won't you please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And this morning, Lord, as we do so, I just want to say amen to you. That prayer this morning. And Lord, we just want to come and say, God, would you speak clearly this morning? Would you give me ability by your spirit to say only what you once said? And nothing that you don't, Lord. God, we want to hear you this morning. And I pray for us, Lord, that this morning would bring a fresh hunger in our hearts to know you. Ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. Gary, good. I just have a little bit less because I can. This is my softest. <laughs> I'm going to ask people to take out their hearing aids soon. All right. So this morning I'm going to read from Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And uh, we are at part two of looking at this series of the great commands. And um, let's read together in God's Word from verse 28. I read from the English Standard Version. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, he's asking Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So this morning we see Jesus' response to a scribe's question. And you might be wondering this morning, what was the job of the scribe in Israel? And if you remember from last week, we said the job of the scribe, they were also called a lawyer, was to interpret the Mosaic law, God's law, to the Jews in a way that helped them apply it to their lives. And so what the scribe is really asking is, give me the one command that if I follow, I'll fulfill all the rest. And so that's why he asks Jesus about what is the greatest commandment. And it's a big question, and I hope this morning it grabs your attention. It's basically asking, what is the one thing God expects of my life? And so it's not a rhetorical question or an academic question. It has a real impact for us here this morning. What is the one thing that God wants you and me to be doing? And Jesus answers, not with one command, but two. And we said it was interesting that he understands the scribe's question. Jesus is not stupid. But he answers with two because the first one of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, 
is we can actually kid ourselves that we do that. God's unseen. We can have nice intentions towards Him. We can have hearts that feel nice feelings towards Him on a Sunday. But actually, we can kid ourselves that we really love God. However, we can't kid ourselves that we love our neighbor. That person you walked into church this morning and just irritates you. Welcome to loving your neighbor. That preacher who preaches in a way that irritates you, welcome to loving your neighbor. The person that you can't stand in the home or in the office or in the sports club, welcome to loving your neighbor. And so the second one keeps us honest, not so? Is you can't fool yourself that you love your neighbor, but you can fool yourself that you love God. And both come together from Jesus. And this morning it's important for us to know that our expression of, the reality of our love for God is expressed by how well we love our neighbor. Whoa. And luckily for us this morning, we're not looking at the second one yet. <laughs> we are carrying on with the first. And last week we looked at how do we love God with all of our hearts? And remember we said that until... Until there is a radical reorientation in our lives, we cannot love God. You see, you and I were born thinking that actually everything in life, including everything that I am, everything that I own, is for myself. This concept of loving somebody else and loving God and loving my neighbor with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all, our strength, with all my strength, it is the most unnatural thing for a human being to understand because we were born with a heart that thinks only of ourselves. And that's not hard to prove this morning. We were born with a heart that Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, our hearts, unlike Disney, says it's not a, a foolproof comfort of truth, compass of truth. Actually, our hearts were born, or we were born with a heart that only understands one way of thinking, what's in it for me. And so the reason why God start what Jesus starts with loving God with all of our hearts is because until God does a work inside of us we can't love him and Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 says I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh we said that God has to come into our lives by his spirits and give us a new heart. That heart we're born with is like stone before God. It will not yield to loving God because it only loves itself. And by the power of God's Spirit, He has to come into our lives and give us a heart of flesh, which means a heart that is tender, broken, desirous, dependent, supple before God. Until that happens, good luck. Good luck. You will try to bend that heart of stone and you will break in the process. And so this work has to be a radical work inside of us. We have to start loving God with a new heart. That's where the heart comes first. But we said just because we receive this heart of flesh doesn't mean that it's foolproof as, foolproof as Christians. We said our hearts are wayward. 
And Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, you cannot get a stronger admonition. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so we looked at how do we guard our hearts? Well, we said we have to take daily stock take of what our state of our heart is before the Lord. Just like in our marriage, in our friendships, we have to keep checking in on the status of the relationship. We have to do the same with God. Our hearts get cold so quickly. Our hearts get disconnected so quickly. Our hearts get offended so quickly. There are multiple things that happen to our heart that we have to keep an eye on in order to ensure that we are soft and tender to before God. Secondly, we have to keep watch on what we really treasure in our lives. We said that we have to look where our money goes, where our time goes, where our thought life goes. Because remember, Jesus taught that our heart is where our treasure lies. Thirdly, we said we have to keep our hearts clean and pure. And what that means is we have to keep sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have to be very open to whatever God says to us. We have to be open to the conviction of when we sin, we make right with God quickly. We confess it to the Father. We make sure we are at peace with God, but that we are also at peace with the people around us. We be very quick to pick up any unforgiveness any bitterness, any resentment, where we have wronged our brother, we have to keep our hearts clean and pure. And if we don't, we will not see God, Scripture says. And lastly, this is where I didn't have time to finish, and I'm going to pick up this week, is point four. We have to keep our hearts aligned with the truth. Now, the best way I can explain it this morning is walking my dog, Roxy. She's a Labrador. How many of you have labs here? Do you know what I'm saying? Oh. Okay, I'm tempted to say your life is only half complete, but um, I'm just joking. My, my dog, Roxy, well, actually Marina's dog, Roxy, I have a Jack Russell who's not as good as Roxy, but um, we have to take these dogs for a walk, and I always get Roxy because Roxy's so big. But Roxy is this bundle of passion and energy and desire, and she just wants to go wherever she wants to. So she sees a cat. Oh, she sees a dassy. She sees some wee on a lamppost. She smells, she, no matter what it is, she is all over the place. And that's what our heart is like. Our heart is the seat of our energy, our passion, our desires, our motivation. And remember, our heart is all over the place. It's wayward. And in order to walk Roxy, I have to put a lead on her. And I have to grip her and I have to talk to her and say, Roxy, no, naughty dog. And she comes back in line, and her energy is pulling in the right direction. But I also have to yank that, that uh, lead. And the picture of the relationship between the dog and the lead is the picture of relationship between the heart and truth. You see, God designs it that our passion and our desire comes from our hearts. Yeah, we know what that's like. Some of us have felt very passionately in our lives, not so? But if our hearts lead us, we're in trouble. Because the heart needs to be guarded. It runs after whatever it sees first. Its affections are fickle. And what we have to do is we have to learn to grip and lead that incredible dynamo of passion and energy which God has put in us by His truth. Truth must lead the heart. The heart does not lead. 
And friends, that's the trouble with modern day society. It's actually been the problem of mankind from the beginning. Is if we let our hearts take the lead, we live by instinct. And our instinct is fallen. And if you want to look at the church today, if you want to look at society today, we are little more than animals. We give in to whatever appetite and desire and passion we want. We have very little restraint. You'll hear the conversation of, in my day, that's what I always hear with my, 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 my parents, in my day, that was never allowed. Not so? Yeah? The human race is rampant. Why? Because of this philosophy that our heart must take the lead. Our hearts will not lead us into truth. Disney has got it wrong. They're just echoing popular philosophy. The great problem is this, is that if we do that, if we live that way, we're no better than animals. We're just controlled by our lusts and desires and flesh. And we land into bad trouble. And what we want to look at this morning is, what does it mean to love the Lord with all of our minds? Because you see, there's a flow here in this command. The first is the heart. Because until there's a change of heart, man, we can't live for God. But that heart has to come under the control of truth. And truth is comprehended through our minds. And it is so important to understand this. Is that what separates us as human beings from animals is this. We have been given a mind to reason and comprehend God. And to place the appetites and passions and desires of our lives under the control of our minds. And so for us this morning, it is so important that we know we have to lead with truth. And that comes through our minds. And if you want to become a Christian this morning, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, and maybe you are here this morning out of a desperate place to be right with the Lord, the way that happens is this. The very first thing you must do is you must change your mind. The theological term, the scriptural term for that is repentance. It means to change your mind. Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, he says, Now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into the Galilee proclaiming what? This was Jesus' message, proclaiming the gospel or good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Isn't that interesting? Remember, this scribe, Jesus said to him, The kingdom of God is near to you. Jesus is going, Here's the kingdom. This is my message to the world. The kingdom of God is at hand. How do we enter into it? Repent means change your mind and believe in the gospel. What do we have to change our minds about? Who Jesus is. And I want to ask the question that we touched on last week. Who is Jesus to you? You see, if he's just a teacher like the scribe in the story, if he's just a, a good teacher or a prophet that taught good things, or a tradition you inherited from your gran, or that Sunday school poster that was thrust down your throat at school, or maybe it was some sort of understanding that you had to make a vague decision in order to have an insurance policy for heaven, 
Is that the understanding that you have of Jesus this morning? Because my friend, what will get you into the kingdom of God and will usher in the power of the Holy Spirit and the ability to see things that you never thought possible and live a life you never thought possible and enter into a reality that is eternal is what you think about Jesus. And it starts with whether or not you will change your mind about who he is. And you notice what Jesus did with those disciples. He starts genuinely, and that's often how we start to find God in our lives. We start to hear what other people say Jesus is. And Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter replies, the loudmouth that he is, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Peter, for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, by your carnal instinct. You didn't discover this. This is the grace of God the Father coming to you by the Spirit and revealing it to you. And your response today shows you've entered into the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning, I want to move away from going just a general appeal saying, what do people say Jesus is? Who do you think that other people say Jesus is? To this pressing question of who do you say Jesus is this morning? Because the good news, the gospel is this. Not that we could fix ourselves, but that God the Father sent Christ, the appointed one, as Savior of the world, to live a life we could not live and to die a death we were supposed to die so that all who change their minds about themselves that actually they need a Savior, all who change their minds about Jesus, actually He is the Savior and believe in their hearts that He is the Son of God, the Christ, the appointed one. Man, those are the ones who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those are the ones who will have a new heart. Those are the ones who will enter into this radical change from being people trying to please God to being people who are pleasing to God because of who Jesus is to them. And this morning, if you can't go further than that, the rest is not going to make sense to you. Because until you see Jesus as your Savior, you have no power to love him. You're just the scribe who the kingdom of God is near. He can see dimly, but he can't see Jesus as Savior. And my friends, the thing that needs to happen in your life and mine before we can love God is believing the truth that comes to us and changing our minds in response to it. And that's a massive thing for us this morning. Because what that means is if we really have to start by repenting, changing our minds about what we knew about God in ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. It means that our hearts are not only problematic in them being wayward. It means that actually what we know by nature is totally contrary to God. I'll say it again. This is a massive implication. What we know by nature by carnal instinct is totally opposite to who God really is. And in actual fact, this process of changing our minds and believing in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, believing the gospel is the start of a lifelong process of unlearning what we knew by our birth. The Bible calls it renewing our minds. 
You see, until we come to an understanding that actually everything we know has been taught to us by two master deceivers. The first is Satan. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. It says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, our teacher by birth is Satan. We were born into a kingdom of sin, separated from God, and because of that, we received a teacher called Satan who is called the chief deceiver. And secondly, Jeremiah tells us, in 17 verse 9, that our very hearts are deceitful above all else and desperately sick. So in other words, we haven't had a lot of help understanding what truth really is. Our natural inclination is really just human instinct. Wrong. And that's humbling. And until we realize, as Christians... And even as those who are not yet Christians, that what we know by instinct is not right, we will see no need for change. And this morning, I'll be doing you no favor saying, God's word says, love him with all your minds. But there's no understanding that we can only love him as our minds are renewed. Are you with me? And for some of us, that's the first time we've ever heard that, and we find that quite offensive. And I want to ask this morning, would you be open to that? Because until we see that we are blind guides in our flesh, in our natural response, we cannot change towards God, we will not see our need for the Spirit's revelation in our life. In other words, God's Word will mean nothing to you. It will mean that actually having a heart to hunger to know what God says about life and about the world we live in, it won't really matter too much because actually deep down in ourselves we believe what we know is enough. And instead of being led by truth, this is important, instead of being led by truth, we're just led by natural instincts, popular culture, Romans 12 verse, two, 12 verse 1 and 2 says, I'll read from verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The way that we know God's will for our lives is not through our natural understanding. The way that we know God's will for our lives is as we yield to Him, to His Word, we open up our lives to His Spirit, and He begins to teach us and show us what His will is. Now, how does God renew our minds? Well, just like we have to get a new heart when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, so we have to be given a new mind. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, we need to be given the mind of Christ. We need to be given the mind of Christ. In other words, when we come to salvation, God puts His Spirit inside of us 
And by Him putting His Spirit inside of us, we have the ability to see and think about God and about the world, about ourselves in the same way that Jesus did. And so, this mind of Christ doesn't mean we have all the thoughts downloaded from Jesus. I wish I had that. I'd be able to see what heaven looks like. I wish I'd have to be able to see all the glorious things, of, that I, all the questions that I'd want answered. We don't get a download of all the thoughts of Jesus. We get the capacity to start to think in a way that the Son of God did. And that's amazing. And that's the work of the Spirit in our lives. Now, before we close with just three brief points, I have something on my heart to share this morning. And it is this. Do we understand how much we need God's Word in our lives? It is becoming a deep concern for me that um, the longer I'm rubbing shoulders with fellow Christians, the longer I'm rubbing shoulders with church, is I'm concerned that we are becoming a generation of Christians that are highly ignorant of God's Word. And I have to speak into this this morning because out of concern for where we are as a congregation, I feel very strongly that we need to be open about what's actually taking place around us because we are influenced by that and addressing it. You see, it comes from this arrogance of living in an information age where we think that we have the knowledge through Google, through multiple areas or access points for knowledge to sufficiently run our lives without attention to Scripture. And it's my concern that even speaking to people who've been saved for many years, they have got no concept of what the Word of God actually says. And so they live off the sermon. They live off the WhatsApp message with the one verse. They live off the daily devotion with the one text. But what happens is, that person who's writing the daily devotion, the Word of God is not the verse that's at the top of the page. The Word of God is the interpretation of that verse written by the author. And what happens is we have this fragmented view of what God's Word says about life, and we're in trouble because of it. You see, if we only have snippets of Scripture as an understanding of what God really has to say to us, it's like me going outside into a garden, picking up an eye, picking up a mouth, picking up a jaw, picking up a foot, and then coming together and trying to understand what a body looks like without any concept of what a body looks like. And for us today, we're in trouble. You know what the judgment will be on our generation? The judgment on our generation will be the neglect of God's Word. Because we live in a day and age where the accessibility of God's Word is the most it has ever been in the history of the world. And despite that, its neglect has been the greatest it's ever been since the Reformation. And you want to know why it was called the Dark Ages in Europe? It was because for a thousand years... God's word was shut. And people just went on through tradition, through carnal flesh, through pagan philosophy, trying to understand a life in God. And this morning, 
I say this not to be controversial or to be judgmental. I say this as a warning because where we are at the moment, church, is we are at risk of being a biblically ignorant generation where God's Word, the highest form of revelation authored by the Spirit, is set aside for daily devotions, for WhatsApp messages, and actually maybe even more than that, for popular preachers who are saying stuff that we cannot back or test in whatever form it's coming. We just come along and we go, well, that's right, that's right. And so we are being led into every form of destruction and every form of carnality and we don't even know it you know that 60 years ago the layman knew their bible as well as the pastor that when a pastor stood up before the congregation he knew he better be saying the right stuff because his congregation would hold him to it and my concern is I can see the Brian and Mary generation who live off God's word and feed off it moving out and the youngsters coming through and we know nothing of what they have inherited through decades of faithful unpacking, applying and expounding of God's word. And this morning, I need to challenge us on this this morning as a church. Is how much do you need scripture on a daily basis? You see, because it's my feeling that as I'm listening increasingly to popular teaching, to conversations around the dinner table, that Christianity is becoming one gigantic form of comfort. And the Word of God is a medicine chest that we go to for our aches and our pains, and we take with the mercurial of the one verse that we know, instead of leading us into the transforming power of Jesus Christ where day by day we are being moved from one degree of glory to the next. And the outworking of the Word of God is not for some sort of comfort that never challenges us on how we live when we kind of nurses our aches and pains. No, no, no. It trains us to run a race that is for the prize, this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, the Word of God is there to train us like an Olympic gold athlete that faces suffering, persecution, hardship, all these kinds of trials that come and attack faith and overcomes it. But my fear is this, is that we live in a current context where popular teaching never intrudes on our lives. It just excuses the way we live. And this is not easy for me to say, but I've got to say it. Is when last did God's word make you uncomfortable? When last did God's word break into your life and shake you and go, I have sinned, I've got to change. Because you see, church, by the work of the Spirit, He is calling us into the renewal of our minds. And that means we have to face our old self and put it to death for the new. That means we have to come to a place of repentance where we change our minds about what God says through His Word and we align with that, not with instincts. And this morning, I want to ask you, what kind of faith is brewing in your heart? Is it a faith that always just excuses weakness and glorifies it? Or is it a faith that turns you to Christ and says, no, no, the resurrection power of Jesus is inside of you. You are no longer slave to sin. You're no longer slave to this old pattern of thinking. By the work of Christ inside of us, He has given us a new birth. It's Christ in us, this hope of glory. In other words, through the power of the Spirit that Mark was sharing this morning, we live a transformed life. 
And I don't want to put it heavy on you this morning, but I do have to ask this question, and it's a question I have to ask myself with absolute honesty. Can I see growth? Can I see growth? Can I see change in Matt Johnson in response to my daily reading and fellowship of God and prayer into the response of the preaching? Do I ever come before the pulpit sitting above the pulpit or do I let the word of God come and teach me and shake me and offend me so that I can change? And I want to say this morning, if God's word never intrudes on your life or makes you feel uncomfortable, if he never convicts you of sin or that you need to change or that you need to repent, I want to ask you, are you living out of biblical faith? Because we're in the transformation business. The life of Jesus is inside of you, wanting to work its way out into a beautiful, glorious image and reflection of Jesus. That the Spirit inside of you wants to make you the fragrance of Christ where you work where you live and where you play. This is the glory of the call of Christ. And Jesus said, if anyone that is totally open, if anyone wants to come after me, let him, what? Deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. Friends, if we are never nudged to change, to apply faith, to embrace this sanctifying work, this holy-making work of the Spirit in our lives. We're not loving God with all our minds because we are closing ourselves to this intrusion of God's Spirit saying, Matt Johnson, whoever what your name is, you've got to change here. And revelation is different to information because revelation requires humility. It requires our pastor to be, Lord Jesus, you're right. You're so right. I changed my mind. I repent about that. Please forgive me. And I want to move in that direction you want me to. That's a difference. And don't get me wrong here. I'm not asking for a generation of big heads that know the Bible and understand about it from backwards to forwards. No, no. I'm saying we need a generation that has the revelation, the message of Scripture pulsating in our hearts and being expressed in our hands. That's the picture of faith. And so, in closing, how do we love God with all of our minds? Well, church, we've got to fill our minds with God's Word. Renewing our minds happens by the washing of the Word of God. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is why. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Because we need our minds washed with the Word of God. Daily, meditating, even if it's for 10 minutes, it will do us good. Secondly is we have to stop our minds negatively. In other words, we are called to take every thought captive 
and bring it to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Take every thought captive to obey Christ. What it means is this, and you and I know it, our brains are full of all sorts of thoughts. Sometimes it's like a beehive in your brain. You're just like, ah. What we are called to do is we literally take thoughts captive one by one. Is we don't let, like our hearts, our brains run wild with unbiblical thought processes and unbiblical thinking. And the only way we'll know what is in line with God's word is if we know God's word. So we have to take thoughts captive. And I want to ask you this morning, what kind of thoughts are rampant in your mind? Is it largely unbelief? Largely negativity that just falters on an, or, or, or rests on a sense of almost a Christian atheism. But lastly and thirdly, is we have to do something positive. So we do something where we take our thoughts captive. Those that are negative, we bring it to submission in Christ. But positively, I want to leave you with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. We are called to direct our thoughts to what is godly. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, 